Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. We are so glad that you are here to join us. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is from our new Christmas series titled Hope. Today, Kurt is going to be teaching from Psalm 130, so make sure to have your Bible handy and have a notepad to take some notes and follow along with us as we get started. Well, hey, good morning. Good to see everybody here uh, this this uh, spring December day. Um, but uh, let's see, today we're kicking off uh, the Christmas series. We'll be looking at hope, and uh, as we go through this, we'll have a handful of different passages that we'll we'll look at. And this morning we're going to be in Psalm 130. So if you want to go in your Bible, your phone, whatever you're using, Psalm 130. And then I read from the Christian Standard Bible. So if you're on your phone and you want to read the same version as me, that's the one I'm using, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, before we do that, I wanted to share a few things with you. The first one is uh, uh, we had a meeting at the end of October to talk about the, the changes that we want to make to the next set of changes we want to make to the facilities. And those revolve around the, the parking lot getting restructured, um, some safety issues, lighting and things like that. And uh, uh, we shared at that point in time that the need that we had to get that project off the ground in the spring or summer was $70,000, okay? Uh, most of that is already funded. The project total of, um, now you're, I'm, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, is about 430, and we had like 360. Um, and so most of the money was in, but we still needed another $70,000 to do that, and we're asking people to pray about giving to it. Um, and in the month of um, November, $16,000 came in, so we're looking to raise another 54, hopefully by the end of the year, so that we could make those project changes um, in the spring or summer of next year. Now, as we talk about giving, uh, our, our thing on this is we just ask that you continue to pray to God about it. This is not any, uh, this needs to be between you and the Lord, um, and not just for the donations that you would give to the church, but for the many ways um, that you could give, either of your time, talent, or treasure, and in the many places you could do that. Uh, those are conversations you should be having with God through prayer, and then just be obedient on what he leads you to do. Um, but that is our goal with, um, with the building project is that we'd like to raise another 54 in order to be able to uh, get that project off the ground in the spring. Uh, the other thing that I would ask you to be in prayer about is the Supreme Court case surrounding abortion. Um, while laws can't change the human heart, they can restrict evil. Um, and uh, the killing of unborn babies is one of, if not the greatest evil of the past 48 years since Roe v. Wade in the United States. Um, and as we'll see in this passage, there is mercy, forgiveness, um, and grace for anyone who's been a part of abortion, and that is good news. Uh, God loves us, he forgives us, and he guides us to a way of living that does no one harm. Um, that's, that's the way of life that he will lead you to. You'll do none harm. Um, and then uh, maybe the last thing you could pray for me for, uh, we had some loud neighbors last night. Uh, there were some kids in their 20s. At, at about 2 in the morning, uh, I don't know, it sounded like there was a delivery out front or something. Big old diesel truck drives up, and he's just having a good time in that diesel truck. And he was blaring country music, but it was not as nice as what we just heard. Um, and uh, they're, they're making some noise in the street, and I wake up, and I'm like, is this a dream? Is this real? And then, okay, this is real. And I was silly enough to open my window and say, hey, keep it down out there. We're trying to sleep. Um, and then I couldn't sleep because I thought, did I just poke the bear? Um, is my car going to get egged? What's going to happen now? Um, so anyway, I don't know. I feel a little bit more alert now than I did at the first service, but if you want to pray for me... That'd be great. And then the, the real good thing about it is I was never young and dumb, and so I can judge them for their foolishness from a position of complete ivory tower. No. Um, I actually think that the reason uh, for me that that took place last night was if I recall my uh, time between, say, 15 and 20 years old, uh, it was pretty rebellious. Um, I was doing what I wanted to do, what the flesh would lead me to do. And... Um, 
this passage is one where the psalmist recognizes this is an earnest cry to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness of sins. That is what he is calling out for. And then he invites the people to join him uh, in hope for a time when the Lord would redeem them from all their iniquities. And we'll get into what each of those words means in more detail as we go through this. Um, but if you know your own story, then you know that uh, there is at least a period of your life, and maybe you're dealing with it right now, um, where you were not paying attention to what God had to say. You were doing things your own way, either indulging the flesh um, and going after whatever impulses you felt in the moment or uh, looking down your nose at others with pride, thinking that you were better than them. Either, either one of those is a form of the same thing and it's not trusting God. Um, and uh, so I don't know exactly what your story is, but the cry here is for mercy and forgiveness of sins. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'll show you how what the psalmist is really calling out for is the person of Jesus. Um, he's really crying out for Jesus. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll read these verses together. So Father, we do come to you with uh, an earnest, uh, um, open heart, willing to learn from you. Um, I do pray that that is the heart of each person here this morning. Uh, that they are, are willing to learn from you. And as we turn to the pages of Scripture, this is, this is your word, this is your wisdom, this is your forgiveness, this is your way of life that you're calling us to. And so may we learn from you. Uh, not think that we have it all together and live in a place of pride or not have a calloused heart that, that won't open our ears to you, but instead, as the psalmist cries for, for you to hear them, I, I pray that we would hear you this morning. Um, that we would see who you are and uh, your great steadfast love and your forgiveness of sins, your mercy withholding punishment that we deserve and how you redeem us and you buy us out of slavery. We, we were all at least at one point in our, on our lives slaves to sin and, uh, and the devil. And so, uh, Lord Jesus, you have bought us out of that. You have paid the cost to redeem us. And I pray for those of us who know that truth that we would glory in who you are and what you've done for us. For those who haven't made the decision to, to bow to you, God, to recognize that you are the only one with the power and authority to forgive them, uh, that they would honor you for the position that you already hold in their lives, but that it would be something they would recognize today, that they would see their own brokenness and their need of forgiveness, uh, and that they would turn to you, that they would turn to you in the person of your son, Jesus, who died for their sins, uh, not just the sins of the whole world, but for each and every one of us as individuals. He paid the cost to free us from sin and give us new life. And so, uh, God, may we see that clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's only eight verses. Some of you just breathe a sigh of relief because you remember when we were Ezekiel and we do like 50 at a time. So we're just doing eight this morning. And it starts like this in verse one. It says, out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Anytime you see L-O-R-D in all caps like that, that's God's Old Testament name, Yahweh or Jehovah, depending upon how you wanna put consonants in there. But out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman in the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. And so the first thing that he says here is, out of the depths I call to you. And that, that word depths, he's talking about a place of insurmountable difficulty, perhaps even the point of death 
He's saying, my life is in this place where uh, what's in front of me and what is surrounding me is overwhelming. Uh, we don't know who wrote this psalm. It might have been King David after one of his mistakes, either after maybe killing Uriah or sleeping with Bathsheba, and he's recognizing the deep sin that's in his life. It could have been written by Ezra, who was in captivity, and he had done some things that were uh, causing him to be in a place where death was surrounding him. We're not sure who wrote it or exactly what their circumstances are, but we know that they're in a place of difficulty, deep difficulty. And so what they do is they, they plead for mercy. He says, Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. And that word cry for help, is, it, it means to a cry for mercy. And the word mercy means to withhold punishment that someone deserves. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, I know my own sin. I know my own brokenness. I, I know my own life. And any of us, if you're willing to actually have an honest assessment, look in the mirror and at the course of your life, you know that it's not all that it should be. You know that there's sinfulness. There, you know there's times and places and maybe even large patterns of your life that have been rebellious towards God and don't allow him to lead. Maybe there's, uh, you look at your life and you go, you know the places where here I am and, and I say that I love these people the most and yet they're the ones that I hurt the most often. And this is, isn't how it should be. And so you, you look at your life and you go, something's off here. And what the psalmist is saying is that uh, this is a good place to be. That being in the place where you see the gravity of your sin and your brokenness and crying to God to withhold the punishment that you deserve, this is a good place to be. Uh, King Solomon considered one of the wisest men ever to live. In Lamentations chapter seven, he says, it's better to be in a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. It is too futile. And so his point is simple. Only a fool would not contemplate his, sin, his sinfulness and seek God's mercy. After all, the end of an unforgiven life is an eternity without God. So only a foolish person would fail to look at her life and say, this is the sinfulness of my past and I need God's mercy. I need to, him to withhold the punishment that is due to me. In Luke 12, Jesus puts it this way in the parable of the rich young fool. Jesus said, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, you're not taking them to the next life. That's how this will be with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so to live this life without considering eternity is foolishness and an honest assessment of your own life will always leave you with the understanding that God is righteous, you are sinful, and only by his mercy will you be saved from the consequences of your sin. An honest assessment of your life will always leave you with those things. God is righteous, I am sinful, and only by his mercy will I be saved from the consequences of my sin. 
And so that's what the psalmist is leading us to, is this place where we go, uh, I'm not going to point the finger and say all the things that are wrong with other people, but I'm going to look at my own life. I'm going to see my own sinfulness. I'm going to see my own brokenness. And once I recognize myself for who I truly am, a sinner in need of salvation, then I can turn to God and say, will you be merciful towards me? Will you withhold the punishment that I'm due? And what we know about Jesus is that when God withheld the punishment that was due to me as an individual, when Christ died on the cross, what was due to me was actually poured out on Jesus. What's due to you for your wrongness, your brokenness, your crookedness, your rebellious way towards God, uh, instead of that being given to you, it was actually poured out on Jesus. And that's justice. Because to have wrong take place and there to be no consequences for it, that's not justice. So God in his justice says, I will give a substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf. When John introduces Jesus in his gospel, he doesn't do it with a baby narrative, but he says, here is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And so we understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he was that substitutionary sacrifice. And so what happens on the cross is uh, I, have, I have an account and my account is filled with debt. It is filled with sin and harm and rebellion and crookedness. And so my account is just debt. And, the, and what Jesus does is he goes to the cross and he takes my debt and he actually bears it on himself. And then not only does he transfer his, my debt to his account, but then he takes his riches and his glories and he transfers those to my account. And so there's this transference of my debt to Jesus and his riches to me. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to be the suffering servant who would take away the sin of the world, who would bear our iniquities and then transfer his riches and his glory to us so that we could be uh, rescued from the consequences of sin, so that we could be redeemed from slavery to sin, and that we could be restored as new creations in his family. And so the psalmist is leading us to see this. And so he says in verses three through four, he says, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? And so his statement there is that if I had to be, if I had to stand before you and look at my account full of debt and the God were to demand of me, pay it, I couldn't stand. If, if I had to uh, stand before God with my uh, account of debt and brokenness and he said, pay it, boy, would I be in trouble. He says, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. And there's two words to look at there. The first one is iniquity, and iniquity is guilt caused by sin. It's to do wrong, to twist, to be bent or crooked. And so the word iniquity, it shows up again and again in our study of God's word. And this bent and crooked ways, uh, it's the bent and crooked ways of humanity acting without God. And these are blatantly obvious in our society. It's the glorification of violence and vengeance across social media platforms. It's the degradation of sexual intimacy seen in every form of media we encounter. After all, any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is fine. It's the devaluing of human life and the killing of the unborn, racism, sexism, and ageism. It's the lie that to find yourself, you should look within yourself as if embracing sinful fleshly tendencies would fulfill you. It's the belief that people should never criticize someone else's life choices as if we were not here to love each other by calling out sin for the danger that it is. It's the mindset that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life as if difficulty and hard work were not worth the effort. 
It's the lazy, unethical practice of able-bodied people living off the hard work of others, as if the role of government were to provide rather than the individual's responsibility. It's the delusion that people can believe whatever they want so long as those beliefs don't negatively affect society, as if wrong thinking would not produce wrong living. It's the madness that we all live in as we're so afraid of a virus and death is the most frightening thing that we could encounter that people exchange their freedom for perceived safety. It's the disrespectful, haughty mouth tearing down a fellow human to prove a point as if kindness and love could not coexist with truth. It's the temporal greediness of material wealth that will provide satisfaction. It is the morality of self-fulfillment so pervasive that it has become like the air that we breathe. And so that's what iniquity is, and it shows up in our lives. It's bent and crooked ways of living that do not acknowledge God, and then show up and manifest themselves in thinking and actions that don't care for other people. And so he says, but there's forgiveness with God, and this word forgiveness is to pardon from wrongdoing and the consequences of sin. And so what the psalmist is saying is that I need mercy. I need the punishment that is due to me to be withheld and poured out on a substitute and Jesus willingly comes to be that substitute and in doing so he pardons us from wrongdoing and the consequences of our sin and this is the great exchange that Christ made he gave his life for yours he gave his life for mine and so what we're being led to do here is to recognize our own brokenness our own bent and crooked ways not to judge others but to see our own bent and crooked ways and repent from them and turn to Christ instead and say, forgive me for what I have done and trust that his mercy, has, his wrath has been poured out not on you but on his son and you are saved from those consequences. And so it's from that overwhelming state of sorrow and remorse that the psalmist waits for God to display his forgiveness, mercy, and love. And so in verse five, he says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. And if you can imagine uh, being a watchman through the night, uh, the, the best thing that could come along is some light so that you can see what's going on around you. And so he's, he's praying for God's word and he's praying for light. And he's saying that he has hope. And this word hope is to wait expectantly on another to act based upon their character. So he says, I understand that God has been merciful and forgiving in the past. And it's not just what he does, it's who he is. He, he doesn't just do mercy and forgiveness. He, he, he loves to be the one who is giving mercy and is the one who forgives. That's just who he is. It's what he wants to do. And based upon his character and the fact that he's done it in the past, I trust that he'll do it again. And so I'm waiting expectantly on God to act based upon his character. That's the word hope. Wait means to await or hope for, to wait an ambush. And the idea there is as though all your muscles are tensed up and you're just ready to pounce to see how God is going to act. And so I understand that he's been merciful and he's forgiven me in the past. And so I know he's going to do it again. I'm ready to embrace him when he comes to me. The evangelist and preacher Charles Wesley captured the theme of hope and waiting on the advent of Jesus in the song titled, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. The lyrics go like this. They say, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. 
Born thy people to deliver, born a king and yet a king, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. And so what Wesley was drawing out was that what we had hoped and waited for, what the psalmist was leading us to, was the advent of Christ. That when the Messiah would come, the suffering servant who would take away the sins of the world. And Isaiah brings this out in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. He says, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. But the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's remarking that our sin is forgiven and this causes us to fear God. The word revered shows up above uh, in, verse, uh, in verse four. It says to, to revere God. And it's based upon this forgiveness. So this is something that only the forgiven can truly experience, this reverence and fear of God. Uh, because in order to truly understand his power and his position, you have to be in a place where you know it not just in the pages of a book, but within your own heart. You understand that the slate has been wiped clean by Jesus' blood. You understand that he is the only one with the power to forgive you of your sins. He's the only one in the position with the authority to forgive you of your sins. You can't forgive yourself. You can't outwork your sins. You don't have the merit, and that's what Wesley draws out in that song, not by our merits, but by Christ's merit alone do we stand before God free and forgiven. So the God of the Bible is the one who consistently demonstrates patience, forbearance, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love. And it's because of his steadfast character that we can hope for more of the same in the future. And so this is the relationship that we as Christians have with God. We understand that he's forgiven us and he's been merciful to us and he's poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of us and he's rescued us from sin and he's redeemed us and bought us out of sin and into his family and restored us to right relationship with him. And because he's done this for us, we understand that he will forgive us again and again and again. This isn't just a one-time act where you go, boy, I sure was broken in the past, and now I'm all better. But instead, what we recognize as Christians is that we still have the capacity and propensity to sin. We still have the ability and the drive towards sin. Uh, it's described as our flesh within the scriptures. And so there are times where we give into our flesh. We live in accordance with our desires, our own self-centered motivation, instead of living by the Spirit of God and allowing Him to lead. And it's during those times where we confess, we agree with God that living by myself and without you is a bad idea. Idea. Every time I do it, it doesn't turn out right. Every time I think, I got this one, I don't. Every time I think, I have the ability to parent without you, I have a, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Um, every, every time I try to do the things that I want to do without you, it just, it's not what it's supposed to be. And so I, I confess that that's not how you want me to live. And I trust that you have cleansed me from all unrighteousness and you've accredited your account to mine and, and I'm going to move forward as this new creation. And so you do this again and again. And this is the hope that we proclaim at Christmas the coming of the Son of God, God in human form to rescue, redeem, and restore. That's why the Advent is such a huge part of our calendar. We look at December and we say, this is the time that we remember that 
all of the Old Testament reached its fulfillment in the person, this baby born named Jesus, when God took on flesh in order to come and save us from the consequences of our sin and redeem us back into his family. That's why it's such a special time of the year. He picks it up in verse seven. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord for there is faithful love with the Lord and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. And so with a psalmist is speaking of Israel, God's people. And so we could say that God's people, put your hope in the Lord. There is faithful love with the Lord for with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem all of his people from, their, from all of their iniquities. And that word faithful love is its loyalty, faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, and godly action. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's hesed. And so for the Hebrew people, they understood that, that God's love was his action. Uh, for, for God, love is a verb. Uh, he is one who he loves. He acts from his love. He dispenses mercy from his love. He withholds punishment from his love. He saves and forgives from his love. He redeems us and makes us his children again because he loves you. And the word redeem is to ransom, to liberate and pay the cost. And so that's what Jesus did on the cross. He, he liberated us. He paid the cost. Actually, when he was on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. And in the Greek, it was an accounting term that means paid in full. He cried out from the cross, your debt is paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. He looked at me uh, before I ever existed and he told me, my debt is paid in full. So he bought us out of slavery to sin and the devil and he re restores us to his family. And so our hope is set on the character of God. It is the nature of God that calms seas, casts out fear, brings assurance of salvation, liberates, liberates us from sin and gives purpose. And so maybe the psalmist knew and maybe he didn't, but his cry is for Jesus. He is longing for the birth of the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He's yearning for the word made flesh to bring mercy, to rescue, to redeem, and to restore us from the wages of sin, which are death and eternity without him. And so as you look at this passage and you walk away from it, um, have you acknowledged your sinfulness and need of mercy from God? Have, have, you, have you looked at your, the course of your life? Have you looked in the mirror and said, This is a lot of debt. My sinfulness is heavy. It is a weight and a pit that I can never crawl out from under or out of. I can't do it. I need to be given mercy. I need someone, I need God to withhold the punishment that is due to me. And as you reach that place, you just see that this is the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. You cannot grow close to God while harboring sin. You can't say, God, I want to be close to you and be immoral. God, I want to be close to you and self-centered. God, I want to be close to you and mean to my spouse. God, I want to be close to you and hoard my money. God, I want to be close to you and you can't do it. It doesn't work. There's a barrier that sin creates. 
And so what you and I need to do is we have to repent from our sin and trust in God's mercy. And so what do you need to do that for today? What do I need to do that for today? And then have you experienced God's forgiveness? Do you know this experience? Do you know what it is to be forgiven? Do you know what it is to be in that place of your, your sin is overwhelming and it's weighing you down and then God lifts that burden from you and he pours it out on Jesus and all of a sudden you're able to stand up tall again because you're no longer a slave but now you're a son. You're no longer a slave but you're a, a daughter of the king and, and so now he makes you a co-heir with his son Jesus and he raises you up to something you could never be on your own. You could try but you could never be it on your own and so you've experienced God's forgiveness and in doing so does that cause you to revere him more? You look at him and you go, wow, you really are the only one who could save me. You are the only one who could remove this debt. You are the only one. I owed an infinite God an infinite debt, and he paid it out of his riches. I thought I was going to have to pay it. I thought I was going to have to work out my way out of this. I thought it was all about what I could do, and some of us fall into that trap. Well, look at me. I did it. But no, you haven't. You could never pay your debt. You could never stand before the king of the universe, the righteous God, and say, I deserve to be in your heaven based upon my merit. It will never happen. And so what God does for us is he understands our plight. He understands our debt and he loves us. So he says, let me pay your debt. Let me pay it. Stop being ridiculous. Trying to pay it yourself. Let me pay it. I love you so much and I want to pay your debt so much that I'm going to give my only son. He's going to become a child and, 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 and the word is going to be made flesh and God is going to take on human form and he's going to live a perfect life. He's going to live a sinless life so that when he goes to that cross, he has no debt. He is only full of riches and glory when he goes to the cross. He has no debt. And so because he has no debt, he can pay yours. And that's what he came to do. So will you trust him? We revere him, recognize that he's the only one with the power and the only one in the position with the authority to save you. And then as you approach this season, what are you most hopeful for right now? Um, I've been having conversations with some of you and you're just hopeful you can keep your job. Uh, there's things coming around that are causing you to wonder, do I get to keep this employment that I've had? Uh, there's, there's some of you that uh, health is a major concern right now. What are you most hopeful for right now? And then based on God's character, how do you think he'll act on what you're hopeful for? Uh, in John 15, Jesus says that if you abide in me, you can ask for whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And so what are you hopeful for? And then does your solution to it, what you're asking God for, does that come from a place of abiding or does it come from a place where you say, I think I know what's best here? Because if you're approaching it with your wisdom, what you're asking for will not be God's answer. But if you're abiding and you're trusting God, he may say, you know what? You are going to lose your job, but I have the next chapter of your life in my hands. Will you trust me? He might say, you know what? You're gonna be sick for an extended period of time. And in fact, you may leave this earth pretty soon. But do you trust that I have your eternity? Or are you so afraid of death that, that you could never walk through it while trusting me? Uh, like, like, where are you at on this? 
because there's a God who loves you and he does have your next season of employment in his hands and he does have eternity, your eternity in his hands and he loves, he cares for you. He has the best in mind for you and he knows your days, they're numbered. If he wants to bring you home, he will. If he wants to give you new employment, he will. If he wants to have you to go through a season of unemployment because you love money so much that he needs you to go through a season without it so you could trust him, he might do that. I don't know. But I know he has your best in mind. And so how would you share God's faithful love in a way that can be easily understood? What's your story of God's faithful love? What's your story of going through difficulty, going through grief, losing someone you love, and God being right there? I love you. I've got you. But God, I hurt like crazy right now. I know you. I love you. I've got you. But God, I don't know what's going to happen next. I know you don't, but I do. I've got you. I love you. See, this is who God is. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your pain. In fact, he understands it all. He's not afraid of your addiction. He knows how to break it. He's not afraid of your selfishness. He knows how to teach you to be selfless. He's not afraid of your foolishness. And he knows how to make you wise. And that's the invitation of relationship that God has for you. And that's what the advent of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is all about. He's saying, I want to buy you out of sin. I'm going to pay it. And I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you into my family. And then you're going to walk in this restored relationship. And is it going to be cake? No. While you live on earth, there will be trial. There will be difficulty. But I'm going to walk through it with my arm around you because I care about you. I'm going to change your thinking. I'm going to change your speech. I'm going to change the way that you live. You're going to stop seeing things through temporal eyes. You're going to start seeing things through eternal eyes. You're going to be totally different. So what's your story of God's faithful love in your life? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you, you care about us enough to make yourself known. You've revealed yourself to us in the pages of scripture through the prophets and you've, just, you've made yourself known. And then ultimately, God, you made yourself known in the person of Jesus, uh, your son in eternity past, uh, uh, the, tr the triune God made a decision that the best way to redeem the most people from our sinfulness was that your son Jesus would die on the cross for the consequences of our sin. And so when we look at this advent, we see that it is the culmination of history. It is the, the climax of everything that has ever taken place and ever will take place. Your son Jesus entering this realm as a human so that he could take on our sin, pay the consequences of our sin and buy us out of slavery to sin and death and Satan and make us your children once again. What a brother, what a Lord we have.
And so I pray that we do glory in that, not in our own efforts, not in our own abilities, God, but that we win glory in who Jesus is and what he's done. And God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that is, uh, they feel like maybe they're supposed to bend the knee, but there's just a little bit of rigidness in those things. God, may they see your love and your grace and bow to you. Stop trying to do this on your own. God doesn't want you to do it on your own. You love them more. May they come to you and receive mercy and forgiveness. And I thank you that you've given it to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We hope this message brought hope and positive steps that you can take towards seeking God and knowing His peace. If you would like prayer or support, you can always text us or call us at 775-984-8787. Next week, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to place our hope in Jesus. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.